0: Kings chapter 19. Um, I don't know if you guys, I'm sure that a lot of you have found this to be true in your life, but isn't it interesting that when you seem to have a time of real victory spiritually or a mountaintop experience or the Lord is really working in your life and in your heart, isn't it amazing how it can be that shortly after that, that all of a sudden discouragement comes in or the enemy starts to attack or all of a sudden you find yourself... Feeling defeated or going through difficult times and hard times, and and that certainly can happen to us. And many of you have experienced that. For example, it can be uh, maybe that the Lord touched you at a service and really spoke to you, and, and you left really encouraged and blessed. And and um, and all of a sudden, the enemy starts attacking. Uh, a few days later, a few weeks later, uh, maybe you go to a retreat or or something that you've just been blessed and encouraged and built up in the Lord, and all of a sudden it seems like then all of a, you find yourself in defeat or discouragement. And that certainly is true what happened with Elijah, as we're going to see here tonight. And you recall that as we're at this time in 1 in Kings. It, it was a time of their history where the ten northern tribes, called the House of Israel, is going through a very dark time spiritually. Uh, the first king of Israel, as the nation had split after the reign of Solomon, uh, as the ten northern tribes would break away from Judah and from Benjamin down south, that Jeroboam, the first king, would plunge the house of Israel into idol worship. And Jeroboam, he was told by the prophet of God that if you... Follow after me and keep my commandments that the Lord said to Jeroboam, the first king of Israel, that I will establish your throne. I'll establish your house. But Jeroboam did not do that. Instead, what he did was he built two temples dedicated to the golden calf There up in uh, one in Dan at the base of Mount Hermon and then in Bethel, that very special place that we read about in the book of Genesis that Jacob was there at Bethel when he saw that the angels ascending and descending in the dream that he had. And he called the place Bethel because the Lord was here and I did not even know it. And it was there that the Lord would reiterate that promise that he had given to his grandfather Abraham and father Isaac, that all of this belongs to you and to your descendants, and I will be with you, and I'm going to bless you as a great nation. And all of a sudden, that place, Bethel, has a place of idol worship where they are going and worshiping the golden calf, just as it was in Dan. So we have seen that in these chapters, that in the ten northern tribes, that has gone from bad to worse. It was Jeroboam's house that judgment was pronounced upon uh, his house and they would be killed. And then we see that there's more killings, there's more assassinations, there's a division in the nation. There was even, even civil war for a short time. And then now as we read, it is Ahab that is on the scene. He is the king. He's "...firmly establishes the king of Israel with his wife Jezebel." And we know that Ahab plunges the house of Israel deep, deep into Baal worship as he would go to Samaria. He would make Samaria the capital of the ten ordered tribes, the house of Israel. And he would build a temple there dedicated to Baal. And there Ahab would uh, have the people worshiping Astaroth and Baal. His wife Jezebel, who was a very violent person, uh, as we saw in our previous study in chapter 18, she was one that killed the sons of the prophets of the Lord and uh, put them to death. She had the prophets of Baal and Astaroth there sitting at her table uh, feasting with her. And she was a very vile person, a very immoral person. And she really is one that is calling the shots. We're going to see that quite clearly when we continue through 1 Kings, that she's the one that's really in control. And Ahab, he's no better. So this demonic duo, Ahab and Jezebel, are ruling the nation. And in the darkness, as things have gone from bad to worse, all of a sudden, the Lord brings a light. He brings that fiery prophet called Elijah to the nation, and he begins to speak to the nation. And you recall that first he pronounced the drought, and it was dry. There was famine as it did not rain for three and a half years. And then Elijah, as he was hiding out from Ahab, Ahab's trying to find Elijah, but could not. And then Elijah shows up, and he uh, tells Ahab, that I'm going to issue this challenge on Mount Carmel. Mount Carmel in the northern part of the country, this mountain range that is called the Carmel Range, and then Mount Carmel's there looking over the Jezreel Valley, also known as the Valley of Megiddo. And it is Elijah, this fiery prophet who issues this challenge, showing great courage and strength and boldness, and saying, Ahab, you bring your prophets of Baal here to the mountain. Have them build an altar and put a sacrifice on it, and they can call upon their God, and let's see if Baal answers them, and I'll do the same. I'm going to build an altar and put a sacrifice on it, and I'll call upon the Lord. And it was Elijah that rebuked the people by saying, how long are you going to be between two opinions, or falter between two opinions. If Baal is God, then worship him. But if the Lord is God, Jehovah, then you need to worship him. And Elijah had the boldness to call the people out. Are you going to have one foot in idol worship, and one foot you know, in the kingdom where you're worshiping the Lord? But you need to give your hearts wholly to the Lord. And it was Elijah as it would be that challenge that was issued in we know the story in the previous chapter, chapter 18, that the prophets of Baal cried out to their God all day long, but there was no answer because there is no God, Baal. It's a false God. And we know that the prophets came along and rebuked the, the nation of Israel, saying, you have these idols. They have eyes, but they don't see. They have mouths, but they don't speak. They have ears, but they don't hear. It's foolishness. And so here are these prophets crying out to Baal. Baal does not answer them because there is no god Baal. It's a false god. It's an idol. And then all of a sudden, Elijah says a simple prayer, and fire comes from heaven and consumes the sacrifice, and the wood of the sacrifice, and the people give this great shout, and they say that the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God, and then Elijah calls for the prophets of Baal to be killed down in the valley of Jezreel. So he has this mountaintop experience, doesn't he? Great victory, calling down fire from heaven, uh, boldness, and coming to Ahab and issuing that challenge, making sure that. The prophets of Baal are put to death, and you think, man, Elijah, what such courage and boldness that he had. But all of a sudden, in chapter 19, he's going to be discouraged. He's going to be defeated. He's going to fall into depression. But we're going to see that the Lord's going to minister to him in a very powerful way. What my prayer is for tonight, because I think that all of us, in one degree or another, that as we journey through this life, we can experience the mountaintop experiences like Elijah, the victories, the boldness that we can have. But it seems like a short time later, we can experience the discouragement. We feel defeated. We feel down and and fall into even depression. And what my prayer is tonight would bring great comfort to you, would give you some insight on how the Lord desires to work in our lives as we feel those kinds of things when we feel defeated and we feel like we're down in the valley and not on the mountaintop so let's begin to look at that in chapter 19 verse 1 and Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and also how he had executed all the prophets with the sword and then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying so let's the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by tomorrow about this time and when he saw that he arose and ran for his life and went to Beersheba which belongs to Judah and left his servant there. So here is Elijah. The drought is over. It rained. Elijah you recall that he even outran the chariot of Ahab and all of a sudden after this victory he gets word from Jezebel this violent woman who you as I said had killed some of the prophets of the Lord. You remember that in the previous chapter that Obadiah had been hiding some of those prophets in a cave, the prophets of the Lord from Jezebel, because she would put them to death. And he was feeding Obadiah them with bread and with water. So it's a very dangerous time for those who are dedicated to the Lord. And Jezebel, this woman that's very violent and and vile, she gives a message and sends one to Elijah that I'm going to execute you tomorrow. I'm going to do to you what you did to the prophets of Baal. I'm going to kill you by the sword. I'm going to lop your head off, Elijah. And you would think that Elijah, you know, in his boldness and confidence, that he had just displayed that he would have said, who are you, lady, to threaten me? Go ahead, try to. I'll just call down fire from heaven, and I'll consume you. So go ahead and and make a move. But he doesn't do that. All of a sudden, he, he just becomes so full of fear that he leaves his servant there in the northern part of the country at Mount Carmel, They're in the valley of Jezreel, and he takes off and he runs over 100 miles to the southern end of the nation, Beersheba. Now, as you go through the Old Testament, you will see the phrase as... For example, David is is getting all his troops together, uh, that he would gather them from Dan to Beersheba. You see that uh, wording that is in the Old Testament, and it's just simply speaking that the men gather from the northern part of the country, which is Dan, at the base of Mount Carmel, or the base of Mount Hermon, at the very northern part of the country where the Jordan River begins to flow, clear down south in the desert of Nege, Beersheba. So here is Elijah. He takes off over 100 miles, and he goes to this place, Beersheba, and he's defeated. He, he's discouraged. Uh, he's even depressed, as we're going to see. There's a couple points that, that I want to make before we move on. One was that I found to be very interesting, that Charles Spurgeon, the prince of preachers, he commented on this passage, and he said this, that, quote, Elijah failed in the very point that he was the strongest, and that is where most men fail. And I think that's worth considering here tonight, as Elijah, that fiery prophet, did show great courage and strength and boldness. But then all of a sudden, he's afraid of Jezebel when a threat comes to him, and he takes off full of fear and discouragement and defeat. And you see, it's very important that you and I, that we don't rely on our own strength and our own abilities and that we give every area of our lives to the lord because sometimes we can say yeah i got boldness i got strength in this area i'm confident in this area i'm confident in my marriage i'm confident with what's going on with my kids i'm confident in my business or whatever it might be and we have a tendency to to be confident in our own selves and our own strength in our own abilities and we want to be careful not to do that because we always want to be confident in the lord he is our strength He's the one that's going to help us. He's the one that will make us strong in every area of our lives. And we see that throughout the scriptures. Where people were strong, they would end up failing. For example, Moses. Moses was one that he would herd sheep in the backside of the desert for 40 years, his father-in-law sheep. And it was the Lord that was working in Moses. Moses, who was mighty in deeds and works, as we know from the book of Acts, chapter 7, as Stephen was given that account of the history of Israel. He said, you know, guys, uh, as he's addressing the religious leaders, how Moses was mighty in words and in deeds of uh, the Egyptians. He was next to be in line to be Pharaoh in the first 40 years of his life. He was raised in the palace of Pharaoh in and, and the... the the splendor of Egypt. And yet he would leave that to go out and be with his brethren. And he thought at that time, as Stephen goes on and gives that address, that he was going to deliver the children of Israel from Egypt. And so there's an Egyptian taskmaster that is beating on a Hebrew. Moses steps in, he kills the Egyptian, he buries him. And then the next day, when he's breaking up a fight between two Hebrews, It was one of them that said, Moses, butt out. Who made you a judge over us? In other words, you're a self-appointed ruler over us. What are you going to do? you Are going to kill us like you did the Egyptian? And Moses took off at that time. And for 40 years, it was God working in Moses to humble him, to get him to the point that where God finally called him and said, now, Moses, now that I've taken 40 years to get Egypt out of you and bring you to humility, and humbleness. Now I can use you. I'm going to send you to Pharaoh to give the message, let my people go. And what was the response of Moses? He said, who am I? Who am I to go, Lord? I'm slow of speech. I can't go. Pharaoh's not going to listen to me. But Moses would go. And the Bible says that Moses was the meekest man on the face of the earth. He was the most humble man on the face of the earth, and you certainly see that. For example, when they did leave Egypt, and they're backed up against the Red Sea, and is the people that cried out as they saw the Egyptian chariots coming, and Moses, he would stand up and he said, Be still, and see the salvation of the Lord for this day the Lord will fight for you and you will no longer see those Egyptian chariots. And he always pointed to the Lord and he magnified the Lord and gave honor and glory to the Lord in everything that he did and the mighty miracles that he performed. He did not stand up at that time and said, hey, watch this, people. Watch this. I'm going to part this seed behind me and then I'm going to have the Egyptian army and chariots drown in the Red Sea. You're going to see how powerful I am and how God is using me. He didn't at all. He said, you keep your eyes on the Lord. You look up and see the salvation of the Lord. He's gonna deliver you. And Moses always gave that message given honor to the Lord, and he was humbled before the Lord. That's why the scripture says he was the most humble man on the face of the earth. But then at the end of his life, at the end of those 40 years of wilderness wandering, it was Moses that was upset at the people. They were complaining once again about being thirsty. And the Lord said to Moses, Moses, speak to the rock, The rock which the water would flow from. The rock that speaks of Jesus Christ, as Paul would say, writing to the Corinthian church. And it was Moses that took his staff and he beat the rock twice. And when I first read that, I think, I don't blame Moses putting up all the stuff he had to for 40 years. Those people murmuring and complaining against him and wanting to stone him. And we want to go back to Egypt. And Moses, why would you bring us out here in the wilderness? Challenging his authority and his ministry all the time. I think if it was me, I probably would have gone after the crowd with that staff in my hand. Because they were so hard and difficult. But you see, the Lord would say to Moses, 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 what's this we as Moses would cry out to the people, must we fetch water for you, you rebels? And the Lord said, Moses, come here. Moses, why are you angry at the people? I'm not angry at them. They're thirsty. I wanted you to speak to the rock and simply give them something to drink. And Moses, Moses, you misrepresented me. What's this we fetch water? I'm the one that that is going to give them water to drink. I'm the one that's going to help them. I'm the one that's going to bless them. And you see, for us, what we need to remember is the Lord does the work. And he's the one that helps us and ministers to us. And he's the one that gets the glory. But in that area where Moses was strong, being the most humble man on the face of the earth, he was taking the glory away from the Lord. And the Lord said, you're not going to see the promised land. You think about Peter. Peter, he was a very brave individual, wasn't he? Peter was one that walked on water. And that was a very brave thing for Peter to do step out of the boat and walk on the water. None of the other disciples did that. He was in the garden on the night that Jesus was arrested, and he took a sword out and he cut off the ear of Malchus the high priest and the servant of the high priest. And it was a lot of courage for Peter to do that. But yet, Peter failed. As he was saying to the Lord, I'll never deny you. I'll die for you, Lord. These other guys might deny you. These other guys might run away from you. But not me, Lord. I'm going to stand next to you. But we know the story, don't we, that Peter ended up denying the Lord. And he ended up being afraid of a servant girl. You see, so oftentimes we think, I'm strong in this area. I really got it together. I got boldness in this area. I got it together and strong and everything's really good in in this area of my life, in this ministry that I've been given, in my marriage, in my business, whatever it might be. But we need to always submit to the Lord and allow the Lord to be our strength in everything that we do in life. So here's Elijah, this man that was... This strong individual, this fiery prophet who would not back down from Ahab and the prophets of Baal. All of a sudden, he's running for his life in defeat as he runs for his life down to Beersheba. And so we continue reading in verse 4, But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he prayed that he might die and said, It is enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. You can see how discouraged he is. You can see how defeated he is. You can see even how depressed he is. He says, Lord, just take my life. I don't want to do this anymore. I don't want to be a prophet for you. I don't want to serve you anymore. And what we're going to see here as we continue reading this chapter is God's not through with Elijah. And I want you to know something tonight. He's not through with you. And there are times in our lives that we will go through where we feel like, Lord, I I just don't want to do this anymore. Maybe it may be in that area of just being obedient to the Lord. Lord, this is hard. You're calling me to to love these people. You're calling me to to love my spouse. It's very difficult. You're calling me in this area to trust in you and to rest in your promises. Lord, I don't want to do that because I feel so discouraged. I feel so defeated. I, I feel so down. And we can feel those things, and, and certainly they're real. And the Lord would say to you, just as he's going to say to Elijah and show Elijah, to Elijah, I'm not done with you, and I'm not through with you. So here is a time that's a real downtime for Elijah, feeling the effects of, of Jezebel coming and threatening his life. And he gets to the point where he says, I don't even want to live anymore. And I just want to say this, at this time in our study, if you ever feel where you get to the point where I don't even want to live anymore, that comes from the enemy who is condemning you, who is trying to to make you feel like there's no hope, and I want you to know this, and never, never forget If you ever feel like that, Lord, I don't want to live anymore, I want you to know that the Lord loves you and that He is with you and there is always hope in the Lord. There is always hope in the Lord. He is the God of hope. And that He is with you and He'll never leave you or forsake you and that there is always something to live for and that is the Lord. And He will bring you out of that pit and the feelings that you have. But never give up on the Lord. Never give up on Him. There's always a reason to live, all right? Never forget that. I have the Lord in my life, and I can live for the Lord, and He has things for me to do, as we're going to see that He has Elijah to do. You live for the Lord, and that's the reason to keep moving and day by day trusting in him and looking to him to bring you up and to encourage you and build you up but don't give up because there's always hope in the lord so elijah here feeling discouraged and defeated verse five then he lay and slept under a broom tree suddenly an angel touched him and said to him arise and eat and then he looked and and there by his head was a cake uh, "'baked on coals, and a jar of water. "'So he ate and drank and lay down again. "'And the angel of the Lord came back the second time "'and touched him and said, "'Arise and eat, because the journey is too great for you. "'So he rose and ate and drank, "'and he went in the strength of that food forty days and forty nights as far as Horeb, "'the mountain of God. "'And there he went into a cave "'and spent the night in that place. "'And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, "'and he said to him, "'What are you doing here, Elijah?' So he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, for the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. So here he he runs from Beersheba. He runs even further, a couple hundred more miles, to the mountain of God. This is Mount Sinai. This is Mount Oreb. This is where Moses was on the mountain, receiving the law of God. And he's there in a cave, and he had been told by the angel arise and eat and drink and it was a supernatural sustaining of the Lord as he would travel down to the mountain of God as, as he would go in that area that's hot and dry and barren but it is hot, it is barren, it is dry in the heart and the soul of Elijah and the Lord is saying what are you doing here Elijah? What are you doing here? Notice that Elijah didn't say in answer directly why what i'm doing here he said why i'm here this is what i'm feeling lord but as we look at this text i think there's four things here that if you're a note taker you might want to jot these things down four reasons four things that will lead us to defeat four things that I see here that will lead us to discouragement and even depression and I'm not saying these are the only reasons that we can feel those kinds of emotions and feeling defeated and discouraged and downcast and depressed but these are four things that I see here that can lead us down that road to where we begin to feel those kinds of things number one that notice that Elijah that he's tired he's tired He ends up falling asleep under the broom tree. I mean, he's been a a very busy prophet. He says, I've been zealous for you, Lord. I mean, I've been giving these messages to Ahab. I declared a drought. We've gone through three and a half years of famine that I've had to sustain. And then I challenged the prophets of Baal. And I end up, you know, having them killed there in the valley of Jezreel. I end up outrunning Ahab and his chariot. And now I've traveled about 500 miles through the desert. And he was tired. And you see, when we get tired physically, when we get tired emotionally, when we get tired spiritually, we can begin to become defeated and begin to to feel downcast and, and defeated in our lives and even depressed. And so here is reason number one. I see that he was tired. He was very tired. Not only tired physically, but he's tired spiritually. And I know that there are times where I can feel very tired. That, that, Lord, I'm just tired, and, and the challenges, and the problems, and, and whatever it might be. And it's when I begin to feel tired mentally, and emotionally, and spiritually, that I can begin to be feeling defeated, and discouraged, and downcast. So number one, he was tired. Second of all, I see here that Elijah, he was exaggerating his problems. He was exaggerating the situation, in other words. He, he was saying that, that, you know what, uh, there's no one left. There's no one left. It's, it's just me and you, God. And so they have done this. They have, you know, uh, torn down your altars and killed your prophets and forsaken your covenant. And yeah, that had happened for the most part. But you see, he begins to exaggerate the situation that he's in and saying that I alone am left, Lord. You and me. That is it. He had just experienced victory. I mean, 450 prophets of Baal. The people gave a shout and said, The Lord, He is God. So here he begins to exaggerate things. And I know for me that when I become tired, when I become downcast and frustrated or discouraged, I can begin to exaggerate the situation that is bringing me down i begin to say oh lord it's so bad it's a, and and begin to talk about it. it's a lot worse than it is everything is against me everything's falling apart and certainly you've felt that way haven't you do you think the whole thing is just going down the tubes when it comes to my job when it comes to my finances when it comes to whatever it might be even your ministry And there have been times where I felt that way. And when I do feel frustrated and downcast, I begin to exaggerate the situation that I'm in. And so that's what he's doing here. Thirdly, what I see here is he begins to think Am I doing any good? Am I doing any good? Lord, this is the condition of the nation. And I don't think that as Elijah answers the Lord and he says that, you know what, they've torn down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword and, and, you know, they've forsaken your covenant. I don't think that he's saying that, shaking his fist and he's so angry at the nation. Yeah, he's disappointed. Yeah, he's discouraged. But I think he's saying that brokenhearted. Lord, they've forsaken your covenant. Lord, they've broken down the altars. Lord, the prophets are being killed. And I think that Elijah, who has been ministering for several years here in the nation, that he's probably feeling, am I doing any good? Lord, am I doing any good? Here I've given the word of the Lord. Here I've been faithful to you. Here I, I've been used mightily of you on this demonstration of your power and, and, and all of that on Mount Carmel and calling down fire from heaven. But it hasn't done any good. And have you ever felt that way in your life? that I know I certainly have that there've been times where I've stepped away from this pulpit on a Sunday or Wednesday and I thought, "Lord, I just completely blew that. Am I doing any good? Is anyone any, even listening? Is anybody even being ministered to? Is there any fruit that's coming forth?" And I'm sure that perhaps some of you have felt that way when it comes to ministry. Maybe you've felt that way when it comes to being a father or a husband. When it comes to being a mother, or a wife. You begin to think, Lord, am I doing any good to my family, to my kids? Am I being a blessing to others? And we can feel that way. We begin to think, Am I making a difference? Am I, you know, one that there's fruit that's coming from my life? And we begin to think that we're not doing any good. We're not doing anything positive. There's no fruit that's being born or being produced in our lives as we're trying to do our best to follow after the Lord and to walk in His ways. But fourthly, the fourth thing that I see here that will lead a person to discouragement, defeat, and depression is that He was saying, everybody's against me. I alone and left. Everybody else is just forsaken me." And that's certainly something that you can feel. You feel like everybody's against me, everybody's criticizing me, nobody cares about me, And I want you to know something, that you may be in a workplace where you feel like that, you know what, everybody is against me because I'm the only Christian. Or maybe in your own family, you've been ostracized and and pushed away by your family because you're a Christian and you've given your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ and you're committed to Him. And you can feel alone, certainly we can, but I want you to know something, that you're not alone because the Lord is with you. And he loves you. And I want you to know that there is a loving family here that is here to pray for you and support you, to love you and encourage you. And that's why it's so important that we remain in fellowship. That's why it's so important that, that we be a part of this thing called the church so we can be encouraged and edified and uplifted and built up that as people come into this place, they know, I got people here that are for me and are going to pray for me and care for me. And encourage me and pray for me and are concerned about me. And may this place, Calvary Chapel, be exactly that that you know that you're not alone, that there are people here that really care about you, will pray for you, will be here to encourage you. And so, those are four things that will bring us to this place where we can feel defeated and, and downcast, but the story continues. As we read in verse 11. And then he said, go out and stand on the mountain before the Lord. So there's this cave that Elijah is in. A cave on the mountain of God. And God says, go and stand on the mountain before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by. And a great and strong wind tore into the mountain and broke the rocks in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, a still small voice. So it was when Elijah heard it that he wrapped his face in his mantle. A mantle was just a cloak that that he would have. So he wraps his face in that cloak. And... Um, As he does that, he went out and stood in the entrance, verse 13 again, of the cave, and suddenly a voice came to him and said, what are you doing here, Elijah? And he said, I've been very zealous for the Lord God of hosts, because the children of Israel have forsaken your covenant, torn down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword, I alone am left, and they seek to take my life. And then the Lord said to him, Go return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you have arrived, appoint Haziel as king over Syria. Also you shall anoint Jehu, the son of Nimshi, as king over Israel, and Elisha, the son of Saphat, of abel Maholah, you shall anoint as prophet in your place. And verse 17, it shall be that whoever escapes the sword of Hazael, Jehu will kill. And whoever escapes the sword of Jehu, Elisha will kill. And yet I have reserved 7,000 in Israel, all whose knees have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed them. And so as we see here, here's Elijah in the mountain of God. And all of a sudden the Lord says that Elijah, Elijah, stand here. And all of a sudden there's an earthquake. The mountain shook. And there was a mighty fire and a mighty wind. But the Lord wasn't in the earthquake. He wasn't in the fire. He wasn't in the wind. The Lord is ministering to Elijah. And just as I gave you four things that will lead to discouragement, defeat, and depression in our lives, I see four things here that the Lord wants us to remember that will help us uh, to get out of that discouragement and defeat and depression. Four things that I see here that the Lord would have us take note of that will help us as we seek to find comfort, as we seek to be built up, to get us out of that state of feeling depressed and down and discouraged. Number one, I see here, we go back to verse five. When you're feeling tired, you need to get some rest. When you're feeling tired emotionally and spiritually, physically, it's good to get some rest, and and I'll speak for myself. I know for me, just kind of um, the way that sometimes that, that I've been is when I'm feeling tired, it's like I can't quit. I got to keep going. I got to keep doing, and um, I got more that I got to get done. I have a tendency that the more that I get done, and the more tired I am, the better off that I'm going to be. And I've come to realize that there are times where I need to take that time to rest. I need to take that time to rest myself mentally and emotionally and spiritually and physically. And it's good to do that. And it's okay to do that. Do you know that? It finally took the Lord years for me to realize that. that Jeff, that you can just stop and be refreshed and renewed in me. That's really what the Sabbath was all about. When the Lord gave the Sabbath law to the children of Israel is to be a day of being refreshed and to reflect on the Lord and be renewed in the Lord. It's a good principle for us to have. To take that time to be refreshed and renewed in the Lord. And I know this last week in being gone that Sue and I were able to get away. And, and one of the reasons that we wanted to get away is, is 20 years ago, that I was ordained as a pastor. And it's been 20 years since Sue and I have been able to just take a week away from the kids and, and to be gone and be refreshed and renewed. And it was a blessing. And um, it's a blessing to be able to come back and, and because we miss our church and we miss you guys because we have such a love for you. And we feel as a real privilege and honor to minister here with you and alongside of you and for you. But it's good to get rest. Make sure you take care of yourself. Elijah slept, and he got some rest, and you need to rest in those times where you're feeling down. You no, know, even Jesus did that, didn't he? He would tell his disciples that, let's get in a boat and let's go on the other side. Let's go to a quiet place. Let's get away. Because Jesus, he had been ministering to the multitudes where he was given himself to them, and he would find himself being exhausted, He wasn't tired of ministry, he was tired in doing ministry. And it wore him out, and he got rest, and we need to take rest in those times as well. Sometimes that's hard, especially for us guys to do that. And don't be afraid to do that, to take that time to be refreshed and renewed in the Lord. That's going to help you a whole lot. Second of all, what I see here, is keep things in proper perspective. Remember I said that we have a tendency to exaggerate things, and and we make the problem a lot bigger than it really is, Keep things in proper perspective. And that's what the Lord is doing here with Elijah. He says, Elijah, you're, you're not the only one. Not everybody has gone off and, and worshipped Baal. i got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. So keep things in proper perspective. And again, maybe perhaps that I'm speaking for myself, but I do have that tendency that when I get tired and when I get discouraged and defeated, that I begin to blow up the problem. And it's, you know, somebody will usually come along and say, you know what, you need to keep things in perspective. It's not as bad as you think it is. It's, it's you know, going to be okay. Have a proper perspective on things. And we need to do that. And, um, and we need to uh, have, you know, that realization that, Lord, help me to keep a proper perspective in things. You know, somebody may come along and criticize you. They don't like something that you did. But, you know, as I find that perhaps somebody doesn't like something that I said or a decision that I made, that i got a whole lot of other people that are there to support and encourage and to bless. So keep things in the proper perspective as you're looking at your situation, those things that are bringing you down. Thirdly, this is important. Elijah, the journey is long. Arise in need. Guys, Christian, the journey is long. The journey is long. And you need to learn to eat. That is, take in the word of the Lord. Elijah, I'm not in the earthquake, not in the fire, and I'm not in the mighty wind, but he heard the still small voice of the Lord. And for us to have that very victorious and joyous Christian life that the Lord desires to give all of us. That we need to be eating of the Word of God, taking in the Word of God. And that will strengthen us and encourage us and bless us and learn to hear the still small voice of the Lord as the Lord speaks to us by the Holy Spirit. That's what makes Christianity so wonderful, even adventurous, is that the Holy Spirit is there to teach us and guide us and direct us. speak to our hearts to give us a peace that that passes understanding a peace that rules in our hearts isn't it wonderful when you're just in touch with the lord you've had your devotions lord here is my day i give it to you lord you guide me you direct me and he begins to do that he begins to speak to you in that still small voice hey i want you to go and talk to this person i want you to pray for them. I I want you to go in that direction. He'll put ministry on your heart. It's wonderful to be able to, to have the Lord speak in a still, small voice, but you continue in this, in the Word of God. Continue feeding on the Word of God, and that's where you're going to find strength, and that's where Elijah did, and he was given water. Keep drinking of the Lord. The Lord Jesus said, for all of you who are weary and tired, come to me, you who thirst, and drink of me is what Jesus says. Drink of me, the living waters. So we take in of the word. We trust in the Lord. We, we are just sensitive to the leading of the Lord, the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, just guiding us and leading us in everything. And, and we need that because the journey is long. And then fourthly, fourthly, Elijah, I'm not done with you. I'm not done with you. I got things for you to do. Elijah, what I want you to do is I want you to go to Syria and I want you to anoint you know, uh, um, uh, the king of, of Syria. Uh, I want you to anoint Jehu uh, over the king of Israel. And, and um, I, I want you to do this. And I want you to go and find Elijah. And Elijah is going to be anointed as a prophet as well. And so i got things for you to do. You need to get going. And here's the thing. I know for me that when I feel discouraged and I feel down, and I feel like everybody's against me, and the problems are great, that one thing that I always try to remember is the Lord is not done with me. And He's not done with you. He has still things for you to do. And you may be wondering, what is that? I don't know what it is for you. But will you go to the Lord? Will you go to the Lord... And say, Lord, I believe that you're still wanting to work in my life. That you're still wanting to use me. That you're still desiring to teach me things and to direct me and to guide me. But he has things for you to do. And here's another thing that goes along with that. That I know that in my own life, when I felt down and discouraged, or am I doing any good, or whatever the feelings that I may be having, that one of the things that really helps me to get out of that discouragement and feeling defeated is go and help somebody. Go and do something. Go and serve somebody. Go and make a meal for somebody. Go encourage somebody. Come here and serve in the church. Serve the Lord in some way. Elijah, I'm not done with you. I need you to go anoint the king of Syria. I need you to go anoint the king of Israel. I need you to go find Elijah. There are things you're going to disciple him, and he is going to find Elijah, as we're going to see here in just a few verses, and he's going to disciple him and minister to him, be a mentor to him for six years. There's something that the Lord has for you to do, and it is a wonderful Thing to know that Lord you desire to use me and I hope and pray that you would understand that God has something for each one of you to do whatever that might mean and it might mean that I'm raising my kids right now and and it might mean that you know I need to continue to provide for my family but there are things that the Lord would continue for you to just look to do ministry here, ministry in the community, whatever it might be. And I know that when I look forward to it, I can go and help somebody or do the work of the ministry. I look forward to it, and it brings great joy. Please don't miss out. When we make announcements about here's ministry opportunities, it isn't that, okay, we need this done, and kind of a, you know, it's duty and grudgery and all of this. No, it's an opportunity for you to help in the body of Christ to serve the Lord. I think there's no greater joy besides knowing the Lord and just staying close to Him and walking with Him than than just serving the Lord. And what great joy it is. So don't miss out in what the Lord might want to use you and do through you and and give you opportunities for. Very simple, practical things. It may be cleaning, it may be taking care of things, it may be working in the bookstore, doing bulletins, just all kinds of things. But as the body of Christ comes together, there's great joy as you serve other brothers and sisters that will come. God's not done with you. He wants to use you. He wants to use you. And He wants to do exceedingly abundantly above all that you can ask or think. Will you go to the Lord and say, Lord, what is it that you would have me to do? Lord, how would you direct me in that area? Lord, how have you gifted me? What is it that he puts on your heart? And know that the Lord desires to use you for his glory and for his kingdom. Well, we need to finish up tonight. Verse 19. So Elijah, he does, he departed from there and found Elisha, the son of Saphat, who was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen before him. And he is with the 12th. And Elijah passed by him and threw his mantle on him, that cloak. And he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my... Father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, Go back again, for what have I done to you? So Elijah turned back from him and took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people. And they ate, and he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So all of a sudden, Elijah finds Elisha. We're going to see that Elijah is going to have a powerful ministry. matter of fact, he's going to have a double portion of Elijah's anointing. And we're going to see he's going to work powerfully. But a couple things here I want to leave you with. And then we'll close this tonight. But I think very important. For as you who desire to be used of the Lord. When I see God calling people to use them. I always notice that they're working. Here's Elijah that he's plowing behind the oxen. When he called David, David was what? With the sheep. When Moses was called, he was what? He's with the sheep on the backside of the desert. When Peter and John and James were called and Andrew, what were they doing? They were mending nets, they were fishing. You see, sometimes we think, okay, God, used me, and we just sit there, and we're not doing anything. But the Lord desires for us to be, first of all, ones who know how to work. And second of all, that we're moving forward in whatever it might mean for you. That, Lord, okay, I want to be doing something. I want to be in action. I want to be doing my devotions. I want to be seeking you. I, I just want to keep an ear up in what uh, you know, opportunities there might be. But I always notice that the Lord always calls those, it seems like, they use very powerfully for those who know how to work who are working. Because you know what? Ministry is a good work, is what the scripture says. It's work, but it's good. And I tell young guys that want to be in ministry, you learn how to work. Because ministry is a lot of work. And it's a good work. And it's a joyous work. So here's Elijah. that He's behind the oxen. But then it's interesting, as I was looking at this this afternoon, that he said to Elijah in verse 20... Let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And Elijah said to him, Go back, for what have I done to you? So commentators are divided on exactly what did Elijah mean by the response. What have I had to do with you? What have I done to you? And some believe that perhaps he's rebuking Elijah because he wants to go back and say goodbye to his father and mother. I don't think that's the case here. I think what Elijah is saying to Elisha, go ahead and go back. you got things that you need to take care of. But listen, don't forget what you've been called to do. Don't forget what you have been called to do. And maybe you're here tonight, and maybe the Lord has put a ministry or something on your heart. And right now you can't do it, because you're raising the children. Because... Because you're working to provide for your family, and and that hasn't come to pass. But don't forget what the Lord has put on your heart. And the reason that I say that is because sometimes the Lord will put something on your heart, and and yet the door hasn't opened up, the opportunities haven't come, and all of that. But over time, what can happen is you forget about those things, and we begin to think, well, yeah, the Lord put that on my heart, but you know, so what? That was a couple years ago. No, don't lose that heart. Don't lose that heart to serve the Lord. And in his time, in his preparation, he'll open up those doors. But Elijah is saying, okay, go back. Take care of family business. Go ahead and do that. But he says, go back for what have I done to you. In other words, don't forget that you've been given the mantle. You've been called to ministry, and God wants to use you. Maybe you're in a place where you feel like I can't you know, move forward where I want to, but don't lose that desire and that heart for what God wants to do in your life because he's preparing you and he's going to see you through and he who has begun a good work in you, he promises that he'll bring it to completion. He'll bring that work to completion, but don't lose that heart. What has God called you to do? What has he put on your heart? Trust him that he'll get you there. Amen? Amen. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this time in your word. And Lord, I just pray that as we consider these things tonight, I thank you for, Lord, just the truthfulness of your word. And um, because we can feel defeated and discouraged and downcast and depressed, those are very real emotions that we can feel and seasons that we go through our life. Lord, I thank you that in your word that you give us encouragement. Lord, that you show us in your word that you're not done with us. That we always have a reason to Lord to look to you and to trust in you. And so Lord, we thank you for that word tonight. Father, I would pray for anyone that is here tonight, that has never surrendered their heart to Jesus Christ just as we talked about tonight, that our hope is in you, but our ultimate hope for salvation comes from you as well, only through Jesus Christ and the work of the cross. So I pray if there's anyone here or listening to this message or perhaps out in a coffee shop that you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, that he wants to save you from the pit of sin and defeat. The Scripture says in Ephesians chapter two that without Christ we're really spiritually dead. But God has made us alive by what Jesus Christ has done and going to the cross for you. And if this means anything to anyone tonight listening, that if you've never surrendered your heart to Jesus Christ, we want to give you opportunity to give a prayer of faith in your heart right where you're sitting. To say Jesus. I believe that you're the Son of God who died for me on Calvary's cross. Forgive me of my sins, for I confess that I am a sinner. And I believe, Jesus, you died for every one of my sins. So forgive me. Be my personal Lord and Savior. And thank you for your love for me, for dying for me, for saving me. I surrender my heart to you right now. I give you my life. And Lord, help me to live for you all the days of my life. And if you prayed that prayer and you really mean it, then you have the hope and the promise of Scripture that your sins are forgiven and you belong to the Lord Jesus Christ. And Lord, just as we've received you, Paul said to walk in that. And there are times where we can feel discouraged and defeated and in our walk with you, downcast. And I pray that, Lord, That tonight, if anyone is feeling that right now, that they would know that you love them and that they're not alone and that you have a plan for them, a wonderful plan in their lives. And Lord, that you have fashioned their days, that you'll complete that work and that you'll see us through because your promises are true. And so, Lord, I pray that you bring encouragement to those who are feeling defeated or discouraged or a season that you're feeling depressed. Lord, that you bring healing and comfort right now. Lord, that you bring encouragement, that you bring blessing, that as we saw in your word tonight, that you desire to do a marvelous work in our lives, that we're not alone, that as we feed upon you, that you will bring strength and joy and encouragement. Father, I do pray that you would help us in our hearts to just kindle that desire to please you with our lives and to be used of you. And Lord, you have something for each one of us to do, whatever that might mean in opportunities. Lord, just doing simple things and practical things and acts of love to help others out. The Lord, to just walk closer with you and to get our hearts and mind on you. To remember that we have the promise of heaven. How great thou art, as we sang tonight, is what reigns in our hearts. That your promises are true. And Lord, to keep our focus and our mind on you. And Lord, I do pray for those who are experiencing hardships and difficulties and pain and sorrow. Lord, that you bring the comfort that they need right now. So Lord, we thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. I pray for this place, Calvary Chapel, would be a place where the love of Jesus Christ is proclaimed and felt and, and Lord, that it would be demonstrated through us to others. So Lord, we thank you for tonight. Bless everyone here as we go our way. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray.